How many of you can look back on your life and you experienced a blessing that changed everything? Everything. I mean, you, you just realize like, wow, I, I have a different life now. Now, I'm a little disappointed only a few people lifted their hands because I know more of you in here are saved than that. You know, salvation is, of course, the greatest blessing we're going to experience. Uh, every story in the Old Testament of God restoring and renewing is just a shadow of what we experience in salvation in Christ. So how many of you in here have experienced a blessing that completely changed your life? There we go. <laughs> I just set you up for that one. Now, what we see, though, is the story of Joseph is, it's just fun. You know, we like it. It's, it's you know, it's, it's injustice after injustice to all of a sudden this, this victory that is like mind-blowing. And we like that, but I think we forget sometimes the toll that that would take on a person. Do you think Joseph might have some emotional baggage you think he might have some trust issues? Do you think he's had to work through bitterness and anger and, and work through his faith of, God, why would you give me this dream that I'm so far from this dream now that how could it possibly happen? And yet he keeps being faithful. You see, that's what this entire series is about, is the process of becoming the person God wants us to be. It doesn't happen overnight. It is a long an arduous journey to grow and become a disciple that God uses and, and, and works through. And, and, you know, he uses despite our imperfections, and yet he moves us along in life to put us in the place he wants us to be where we will be effective for his kingdom. And the process of where we start, when he gives us a vision of who he wants us to be and how we're going to serve him and, and you know, the, the vision of, of what could be. And that fulfillment is such a wide journey in between where we experience everything. Failure, betrayal, blessing, unexpected blessings, God moving in ways that we couldn't predict. And we just kind of have to internalize all of this. And when we experience them, most of the time, we don't know what we're experiencing in the moment, right? We, we just don't. We, we, we know if it's hard, it's hard. We know if, if it's good, you know, if it's pleasant, then it's pleasant. But we don't, we don't put the pieces together normally until much later, right? We look back and we're like, oh, wow, God, look, you, you know, you, you, you did this here and you did this here and you did this and it opened the door for this. And wow, God, you're amazing. We don't recognize those in the moment. And too many times when we read these stories like Joseph, that's what we do is we're just like, oh, yeah, well, God's got this. We read it and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, God's, God's totally in control here. And then when it comes to our own life, we're like, God, what are you doing? Why? And, and, and we kind of fail to import that into our lives of like, yeah, it's a journey. It's hard. It's going to take a lot of unexpected turns. It's going to take a lot of growth, personal growth, and heartache, and struggle, and God's going to put us through the ringer sometimes, and sometimes that ringer is going to go on for a season longer than we really thought was necessary, and God says, oh no, I'm, I'm really wringing something out of you, and we're like, I guess so, because I don't think there's anything left, 
But the crank just keeps going. What, what's going on here, God? But sometimes we do enter into a season where God's blessings become apparent. It becomes obvious. We can't deny it. Nobody else can deny it. God's blessings just show themselves in amazing ways. And that's where we are now with Joseph. Some of the moments everybody's been waiting for, you know. We've, we've seen him sold into slavery. We've seen him sold into the pit unfairly. And now it comes time for Joseph to put on the coat of blessing. And we have the wrong thing up there. Uh, wrong one. It should be the coat of blessing. But we have the coat of blessing. And so we are going to look today in Genesis 41. And we're going to read a good bit of scripture here to start out. Okay, more than, more than I normally do. But there's really no good way to kind of lower this, uh, you know, kind of cut it down. And so uh, look with me if you uh, have your Bible in Genesis 41. You need to get out your phone while we, we figure out where I made a mistake on this. Uh, that's probably me. But uh, verse 1, it says, After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When, the Pharaoh, was, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about, I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent out and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit and when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, take note, changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream... I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dreams seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. 
and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for good, for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine." This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. We're going to pause here. Because what just happened? Everything that Joseph has gone through, everything has now come to this one moment. One moment. And I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just one second. What got you into this situation in the beginning? A dream? Telling others a dream? An interpretation of a dream? I mean, as soon as he told his brothers the interpretation of the dream, his life just started a downward trajectory. Remember, he went from being the favorite coat of many colors to telling his father and his brothers his two dreams and suddenly he's sold into slavery. They want to kill him. They, they sell him instead. And then he goes and, and he's put in prison. And yet he gives a favorable interpretation, a truthful interpretation to the two men in prison. And now word has come to Pharaoh that he can interpret dreams. And he doesn't shy away from it. Now, how many of you would be like, yeah, Pharaoh's involved. And last time I talked about dreams to people in control, it went very badly. I think I'll pass. I think I'll step back out of this one. But he says, nope, he does it. And what does he do? They pull him out of the pit again. Okay, he's been thrown in a pit twice now. And both times he was drawn out of the pit, not because of anything good he did, but because it served other people's interest. You think Joseph doesn't see all of this? But you see, what we find in all of this is he's drawn out, and then at what? He says he changes his clothes. The prisoner's gone. He was stripped of the coat of many colors. 
He had to leave his coat behind uh, of being the successful slave and business manager in Potiphar's house. And now one more time, he has to leave behind the garment, who he was in that moment. He has to change his clothes and intentionally enter into this next phase of his life. When God blesses us, he does it intentionally. And I want you to hear this. God is intentional in his blessings. Okay? It it doesn't just serve some big purpose. God is intentional in his blessings. And let's talk about this. One, timing. The timing of God's blessing is what make his blessings work. Think about it. If Joseph had been blessed any time sooner and released from prison, does what's about to happen happen? No. Why is he released from prison? Because the timing. The timing fits that it's his time, it's his abilities, it's who he is that God has prepared him to be that answers the challenge of the moment. And so the timing of God's blessings is what makes it work. If God had freed Joseph two years prior when he interpreted the dreams of the, the baker and the cupbearer, what happens? Nothing. He's freed, he just leaves, and nothing happens. And so he had to wait two years in prison before Pharaoh had a dream. And God's timing is what always works because it's always about God's purposes. Even blessings... Okay, even blessings are about God's purpose. There is always a larger thing going on here than just us. And so, not only were his, his timing so that it served God's purposes, but I want you to listen to Joel 2.25. God told Israel in Joel 2.25, he says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. Now this was a promise he made to Israel after there had been a famine, there had been all kinds of trouble, and God says, hey, I'm going to fix all of that for you. Do you know our God is a God of restoration? What does that mean though? Does that just mean that we just move on, or does God actually restore what was taken? You see, in God's heart, he knows the suffering that Joseph has endured. And he has endured suffering. He has endured injustice. He has endured hatred. He has endured justice. He has endured betrayal. He has endured faithfully now for 13 years. He was 17 when this started. He's now 30. For 17 years, he has endured genuine hardship. Is God just going to say, okay, well, now we're just going to move on from all of that? Or does God restore and reach in and say, I know where you're hurt. I know where you've been lacking. I know what has happened to you. And I am going to restore the years the locust ate. That's who God is. And let's look at how he does that with Joseph. Okay? He blesses him socially. He restores him socially. In verse 40, Pharaoh says, you shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Wow. All my people shall order themselves as you command. The Hebrew right here literally says, according to your command, all my people shall kiss the ground. Socially, he's been restored. 
a man who has been in the pit twice now gets to tell people to kiss the ground, and they will. God has restored him socially. He says, only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and, look at this, clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. He put on the coat of blessing. But I want to take a moment for you to realize a difference here. Where did this start? A coat of many colors, loud, bold, out there. could be seen from miles away. <laughs> you know, you ever see that person at like Walmart? You're like, whoa, nobody's going to miss seeing them coming. You know, bright colored. That was this coat. His brother saw him from miles away and knew it was him because of the coat that he was wearing. So it was literally obnoxiously loud. What is he clothed in now? Garments of fine linen. What is linen? It's light. It's thin. It's fragile. It's not loud. You know why? Because who Joseph has become is what's being put on display. He doesn't have to display the, the vision anymore in loud colors. Who he is is now on display. And that's what God does in blessing. He grows us from the point where the vision that we have may be obnoxious to the world and may be out of step, but as we become the people want, God wants us to be, as we grow into the blessings that he has for us, we become the people God puts on display, not the vision. And so here, Joseph is now clothed in fine linens. He has become the blessing for other people. And so he's gone from a coat of many colors to a fine linen garment. He has restored him professionally. Remember, Joseph made a name for himself in Potiphar's house. Everything he did succeeded. And Potiphar was captain of the guard, and yet he exceeded Potiphar in success because of what he did. And Potiphar's house succeeded in everything. And so that was taken from him. And so what does it say? It says, thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent... No one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's names Zaphonath Paniah. Now there's some uh, confusion as to what that means. Nobody really knows, but a strong possibility is that he's the man who knows. He's the man who knows. See, Pharaoh recognizes what's going on in Joseph. And now Joseph, not only is he being restored socially, but now what is it? He's like, I, I recognize the administrative abilities and gifts that you have, and everybody will now answer to you. He's been restored professionally. He's being restored personally. The scripture says, and he gave him in marriage Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. This is marriage into one of the top Egyptian families. And did you notice the name? Potipharah. Now, this is just my opinion, 
but I think she might be related to Potiphar. What do you think? Not only is he second command in all of Egypt, but now his honor has been restored in the very house where he was falsely accused. What did David say? You will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Potiphar has taken advantage of Joseph for 13 years. And now Joseph has the seat of honor in the house of Potiphar. See, God can restore and he will restore. Now, why could he restore? Well, as we'll learn later in the story, because Joseph is a man of God who has no hatred, who has no bitterness. He's let go of all of that. He has a man of grace and love and kindness. And so he's being honored. What will he do with that honor? He will honor God. He won't use it for personal vengeance. And so then it says, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Azanath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. He restored what was lost. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now when the Bible uses the word affliction, it doesn't use it lightly. Joseph is admitting right here, I hate Egypt. I hate it. I've hated it. It's been horrible. I've, it's been an affliction. It's been one bad thing after another. And now God has made it right. It's like that. God has made it right. He now has a family that he loves where he lost his family. He now is, is living a life in Egypt that he's like, okay, this, this makes up for this. And you know what? It's okay to look for things like that in life. It's not that we get to demand them from God, and it's not that everything is always going to be this huge blessing, and God wants your wildest dreams to come true. And, but you know what? Our God does want to bless. He does. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Do you expect a reward from God for following him? If you don't, you're falling short in your faith. Now, the reward is not the entire point. Don't get caught there. Too many in our culture are getting caught there right now that it's all about the blessing. And what we're going to see is, yes, God wants to bless us, but understand, even those blessings come with purpose. If the blessings become an end in themselves, we have an idol. We have created an idol. Okay, take note of that. If the blessings become the point, if we only follow God because we're seeking his blessings, then we're treating God like he's the cosmic ATM machine. That if we just go in, punch in the right prayer, he'll give us what we want. He's not Santa Claus. And if we treat him as such, trust me, he's not impressed. That doesn't negate the fact that he is a generous God who wants to bless we just have to keep our priorities straight. We have to keep our mind focused on faithfulness to God and understanding who God is, even through the blessings, through the pit, through the blessings. Because when God blesses, he does so for a purpose larger than the blessing itself. It doesn't negate the blessing. We can enjoy the blessing, but the blessing itself will be dwarfed by the purpose behind it. 
and we see the, it, this exact thing happen in Joseph's life. What has he been charged with? Oh, save the world. No, no small thing, right? He gets, you know, Pharaoh has this, this dream that, hey, you're going to have seven good years, great years, and then you're going to have seven lean years so much that it's going to eat up all of the excess of the good years, and you're still not going to be done. There's going to be more suffering after it. And Pharaoh, being apparently an intelligent ruler, says, whoa, I don't want to be on the hook for this, so I'm going to put you in charge of all of it, so that if it doesn't work out, we can kill you and say it's your fault. Now, doesn't that sound exactly what Joseph's been doing his entire life? He has been the scapegoat for other people his whole life. Even his older brothers are like, he's the reason our life is terrible. He's been dealing with this his whole life. And you know why? Because God was preparing him to be able to handle the weight of dealing with this, of doing it on such a large scale that he would have never imagined it. The very thing you hate in life may be the very thing that leads you to God's greatest blessing in your life. The very thing you push against the hardest may be the thing that opens the door to the blessing that God wants to use. And so, blessings come with a purpose. You see, God did not bless Joseph now and say, you know what, Joseph, you've suffered long enough. You've had enough hardship. You know what, here, I'm just going to bless you and you go kick back and lead the good life. Take it easy for a while. Did he do that? No. The blessings come, and I want to say with a price, but it's, it's not a price, it's a purpose. God has a larger purpose at play here. And if Joseph was not a faithful person, he probably misses it at this point. You know why? Because he probably is seeking vengeance, and, and now I, it's my turn now, people, when he's in charge. And he's going to waste time trying to exact vengeance, trying to do stuff that he doesn't need to do. But he's a godly man, and he chooses to be faithful to what God put in front of him. And he does that over and over in life. Sold into slavery? Okay, I will be a slave to the glory of God. And he does. And he succeeds. And God blesses him for the faithfulness. He, he is falsely accused, and he's thrown into prison. Okay, I will be a prisoner to the glory of God. And he is, and God blesses it. And now he is elevated to second in command of all of Egypt. He's married into one of the most prominent families. He has the seat of honor everywhere he goes. There is one person in the entire nation of Egypt that can tell him anything that he has to listen to. One. And you know what Joseph does? I will be a second in command to the glory of God. Of God. You see, Joseph has grown to become a man who can be trusted with such a position. God put it in his heart early, but he had to go through all of this because he was being tasked with saving the entire Egyptian nation. Pharaoh put it on his back. How many of us want to sign up for that? You know, just walk up to Washington, D.C. and say, you know what, I'll fix all of it. Yeah, I got quiet. Because we know, whoa, wait a minute. 
Joseph, through all of the injustice he has suffered, he literally just had the heaviest weight of his life put on his back. That blessing comes with a purpose. It's not just so that Joseph can say, hey, look at me. God's like, you're my man that's going to save millions of lives. Get to work. So Joseph's blessing was also his responsibility. And he saw it that way, and we have to learn to see it that way in our lives too. Where God blesses us, God expects fruit. And if we don't produce fruit through that blessing, he'll take it away from us. And you know how I know that? Because we have the parable of the talents, where Jesus said, to whom much is given, much will be required. There's no excuse there. He says, look, if you get a lot, you better, if I give you a lot, you better give a lot. You better produce. And if you don't produce, I'll take what little bit you have, and I'll give it to one who will produce. God expects fruit. And Joseph is now tasked by God with getting an entire nation ready for a seven-year famine. And he has seven years to do it. So, what does it say? Verse 46, it says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. And he put it in every city, the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Now, doesn't that sound wonderful? We're like, man, he's really doing his job. Do you think Joseph was liked in Egypt at this point? Because let's call it what it is. He just instituted a 20% tax on everybody. 20%. Every time you have a crop, I'm coming and I am taking 20%. And I guarantee these Egyptians, like, who does this Hebrew think he is? Uh, Pharaoh put him in charge. (sighs) And he's taking 20% at a time, just taking it. And you know he's hated. He's the tax guy. Nobody likes the tax guy. Does it phase him? No. He is faithful to what he has. He is faithful to what's in front of him. And I've, I've used this verse before, but it is so fitting here. Galatians 6, 9, And do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And one of the things that can be said of Joseph is he never gave up. But it's not just about not giving up. What we miss in this verse too many times is we talk about, don't give up, you're going to reap a harvest. How many farmers we got in here? Any? Yeah? When's the hardest time? When do you work the hardest? Harvest? That's when you work the hardest. That's when the most work is done. That's when you are putting in long, long, long hours. You see, the blessing comes with a purpose. And when Paul told us, don't give up, keep doing, doing good, keep sowing those seeds, keep going forward, you're doing it to get to a point where the work that you do will produce the harvest you've been looking for. But when it produces that harvest, it's not time to kick back and say, hey, look what's happened. That's the time you're going to work the hardest. And guess what? Joseph is working the hardest he's ever worked. 
Can you imagine traveling all of the land of Egypt on horseback and chariot and and wagon and collecting 20% and making it actually work and building the storehouses that would have been big enough to store all of this? He is like the greatest leader, political leader, that I think this world may have ever seen because he got it all done. He did it. His blessing was his purpose. And so, to get to this moment, Joseph had to endure 13 years of injustice, humiliation, isolation. He had to endure all of that because it made him into the person that could succeed at this. He had to be solid in who he was, right? You're going to get to that position. You're going to have all kinds of people pulling in different directions. You better know who you are. You better know what you believe. You better know how to get things done. And you better be able to to stay focused like a laser beam and not get distracted. Joseph had learned all of that. And he put it into practice. And so now, here's the thing. When we enter into a harvest season and God genuinely blesses us, man, it's such a wonderful thing. But when that happens, our lives will be completely different. And if we're busy trying to hold on to the past in that moment, we will cheapen and short ourselves of the blessing and purpose that God is leading us into. See, notice there was a space between Joseph had to change his clothes. He had to take off his prison clothes. He had to to shave and clean himself up and be intentional about entering into the presence of Pharaoh with respect. He, He didn't go in there and plead his case and say, hey, you know what, before I interpret your dream, can you go ahead and get me out of here? He had to be intentional about that, and he changed his clothes, and then it was after that that the new clothes were put on him as far as the linen garments. He had to transition himself again in his identity as far as what am I doing, what is my life about, and the blessing here has completely remade him. He had to go from slave to prisoner to ruler almost overnight each time. And he had to learn it. You see, he's no longer a rejected brother whose coat of many colors was stripped from him. He is a father and a husband. He can't be both. He's got to decide which one is he going to be. Am I still the rejected person or am I the father and the husband that has his own family that I need to take care of and enjoy and and, and acknowledge the blessing that I have? Which one is it? He's no longer a slave whose coat was used against him unfairly. He is a commander with garments of honor placed on him. He's no longer a victim of injustice. He is the dispenser of justice, second in command in all Egypt. Which one is it? He can't remain a victim and rule at the same time. He has to decide who he's going to be. He is God's representative in every one of those roles. And he must fully embrace who he is and what God is calling him to do. And as usual, Joseph was up to the challenge. You see, in one sense, God's blessings remake us. They remake us. They force us to live a different life. They force us to to enter into something different than we would have on our own. And that's the blessing. That's not just the pit. It's easy for us to look at the pit and say, oh, yeah, we had to learn some lessons in the pit. It was hard. It really changed me. But you know the blessings do the same thing? 
If we don't enter, if Joseph hadn't entered into the new life and everything that went with it and embraced being second in command in Egypt, does he accomplish what he was supposed to accomplish? No. He had to become a ruler. He literally had to learn how to wear the garments, how to wear the ring. He had to learn how to be a king. And he accepted it. This is who I am now. This is what I do. You see, God's blessings move us away from the past and towards God's plans for us, and they will often do so radically. And when I say radically, I mean very radically. What did Jesus tell Peter when he called him to be a disciple? It said, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, what's he telling them? Peter was a fisherman. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen. And what is he telling them? He's saying, your days of being a fisherman are over. Follow me. I will make you into something else. I will. I am going to change you, and you will not be the person you think you are right now. Who you are will not be who you will be. That's what God does with us. And too many times, I believe, we want to drag it all together and we won't let go of the past and we won't embrace the present and and we're too worried about the future and we want to grab it all and just mix it all up into this mess where now we don't know who we are. Because this happened in my past and my present isn't what I want it to be and I'm so worried about the future that I can't live now. And we we just, we don't get to the point of like, God, what is it that you want me to do? I'm going to do that and I'm going to focus there because I can't control any of the rest. The past is the past. I need to let it go. I can't live in tomorrow because I'm not there yet. All I can do is be faithful to what is in front of me. So God, what is it you want me to be faithful to? You're married? It's your marriage. You have kids at home? It's your kids. There's so much. The career that he's got you in right now, be faithful to that. You may look at it and say, but that's not the career I wanted. Yeah, it's not the career Joseph wanted either to be a slave, but he was faithful to it until God changed things on him. We remain faithful and trust that God will open the right doors at the right time. And when God opens those doors, nothing can stop it. But we have to remain faithful. And so Joseph had new life, new purpose. In a sense, he was reborn in this moment. New station, new responsibilities, new identity, new challenges, a new life. What does that sound like? Sounds an awful lot like salvation, doesn't it? Being remade in the image of God, being reborn, being being made new. This is a shadow of what God wants to do in all of us in Jesus Christ. We are literally remade, reborn from above in salvation. We are made into a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. We have to embrace that. We have to embrace that God is changing us and growing us. We can't try to drag the past or maybe there was a, a, a season that was just amazing and now you're out of that season and, and you're like, why can't it be like it used to be? You know why? Because that was for then. You're in a different season now. And I will, like a moment of transparency, 
One of the things that aggravates me the most, and I mean this, that I've seen, I, I have not seen it here so much. I really haven't. So thank you all. You're amazing. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't the phone. That's not what I was going to say. One of the things that aggravates me is when people start going to church and they, they genuinely are trying to recreate something. They, they just go and they're like, yeah, when I was a kid, it used to be like this. And they're like, it better be like that again or I'm not going. And I've run into that so many times in my own ministry of people just, it, this is what church is like and it better stay that way and never change. You're just shorting yourself out of relationships, out of blessings, out of serving God. Don't do that. Now, the gospel doesn't change. The God we worship doesn't change. But you know what? Things change. Didn't this sanctuary used to face that way? Are we still worshiping God? Yeah. Things change, and it's okay. We have to embrace that. It's not that we have to change it, but God changes things. And when they change, we just got to be faithful to what is there right now. And if he leads us into a season that's the pit, literally, be faithful to him. You know why? Because the pit builds character. But you know what? Blessings reveal character. Did you know that? The pit builds character. Blessings reveal character. Twice Joseph was tossed into a pit, his brothers and Potiphar. Twice he was pulled out of the pit for the benefit of another. Joseph grew as a person through heartache and justice, hard work, and growing in faith in God for 13 years, not knowing what would happen to him. Not knowing where his life was going. Not knowing if God was hearing his prayers. But it was during these years that Joseph became a man who could be trusted, was competent, was faithful, and had the character necessary to embrace the blessing that God had for him. If Joseph hadn't learned the lessons of the pit, his time on the mountain would have been a disaster. And I mean an absolute, unmitigated disaster. He allowed the pit to form him so that the mountain didn't break him. You know, a lot of times people say, well, you know, you'll find out what a person's real character is when they face adversity. And I say, no, I don't think so. The, the pit, adversity kind of forces us to have a gut check and like we have to get focused because we may die if we don't or something bad. And so that has a way of sharpening our senses and our attention. No, you want to find out what a man's really made of? Give him power. Put him on the mountaintop. You'll find out what he's about really fast. Take the worries of life away from him and see who he becomes when he's not forced into it. You'll find out who he is very quickly. Who was Joseph? He was the same guy that was faithful in the pit. He's faithful on the mountain. Because he had allowed God to grow his character. Now, if we stay in the pit too long, what happens? We lose hope. We do. I mean, you know, the human spirit, human mind can only take so much. And there comes a point. Everybody has a breaking point. Joseph, you know, he, he, he kept kind of going down, but he had moments that leveled off, right? I mean, when he's experiencing success in Potiphar's house, you know, life was probably pretty good. It's not ideal. He doesn't want to be a slave. But you know what? He's like, you know, but for a slave, I'm doing all right. You know, I'm making a lot of money. I, I, I'm enjoying the fruits of my, my, my labor here. Life was stable. But then it went down again, and he, he just had to keep on doing that. But if you live too long in the pit, then, yeah, it will break us. 
And so there's wisdom in understanding why sometimes life needs to be boring. Okay, it needs to be. And you know why? Because listen to this wise prayer in Proverbs. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me character. God, help me be a person of godly character. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You see, the proverb writer right here is understanding that these extremes, they will break a person. But if God just gives me what I need, and I can just be faithful and trust him on a day-to-day basis and not, not have everything I've ever dreamed of because then I'm going to forget about God and, and start to become arrogant and think, hey, I'm, I'm all that. Or if I stay in the pit too long, I'm going to start to become desperate and do desperate things and Desperate things are stupid things most of the time, right? And he says, God, just, I would just assume not have either of those. Just help me be faithful. Just help me be a person of character and integrity and a person who will walk with you through all seasons of life. See, the best way to enjoy the code of blessing on the mountaintop is learning to be faithful in the pit. Because the same God that got you through the pit is the same God that will keep your head on straight on the mountaintop. And that's what the code of blessing is about. The code of blessing is not there for us to just live our best life now and take selfies and put it on Instagram and show the world how easy my life is. That's not what it's about. God's blessings are so that we can be a blessing to other people. Now, that doesn't take away. Trust, this does not take away from the enjoyment of those blessings. Do you think that, that Joseph was like, you know, I wish that this chariot was, I, I'd, I'd rather go back to the pit. No, I guarantee he's liking the new lifestyle. But with the new lifestyle comes the new responsibilities, comes the, the added pressure of what he's called to do, but he's enjoying it at the same time. And that's where he says, you've made me forget all of my fl- afflictions here. You, you've, you've restored what was lost He admits that, and he is enjoying the blessing, but he also keeps a a view of the bigger picture of life. It is about God. God has not changed. When I was in the pit or when I'm second in command, it doesn't matter. I still serve God. God's ways still reign supreme. I still must be faithful. If we can learn that attitude, then we become the kind of people that God can bless freely because we will be faithful with it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I pray, Lord, that we become the people you want us to be. God, that we would, we would pass those tests of faith, of competency, of character. God, that when you bless us, we would not want to hoard those blessings to ourselves, but God, that we would enjoy them for what they are, but also be a blessing to others. That we would wear the coat of blessing well. That we would represent you well. That we would remain humble. That our hearts would remain soft. But God, I do pray that we would see 
those blessings. That we would praise you and see those blessings in the land of the living. God, there may be many here today, I don't know, but God, any here today that are waiting, that are coming to you in faithfulness, waiting for the, the years the locust ate to be restored, God, I pray that that restoration starts. But God, that that restoration brings with it purpose and passion for your kingdom. God, that this isn't about just our lives, but God, it's about your kingdom and your name and your renown. And God, that in, in, in affliction or in blessing, God, that you would be glorified in our lives. God, help us to wear the coat of blessing well. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.